Today's reading is from John 11:17 through 37. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise and quickly go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, My name is uh, Dave Hopping. I'm the pastor of Emerging Generations here. Uh, Before we get started, just a little business. Uh, If you didn't catch my video over the weekend, um, as as a lot of you know, uh, Tommy, who is our, our junior high leader, uh, is going to be uh, going over to London to work with Surge next year. Um, and so uh, we we need to have a new junior high leader. And I'm excited to announce that this week we hired uh, Sydney Becker uh, to be our new junior high leader. She is, uh, yeah, you can clap for that. It's great. Um, yeah. Sydney, uh, Sydney is a member here at the church. She's also been a junior high leader for the last two years. She's been a, a volunteer leader. Um, so coming in, she already has a great relationship with our students and the other leaders, and we're just very excited to have her on board um, working with our junior hires and leading them and pointing them to Jesus. Um, also, kind of cool as well, uh, as you as you know, Sarah, uh, as Anthony mentioned, Sarah, our tech leader, is is heading out as well. And so we actually also hired Sydney to be the AV tech leader. Um, so so yeah yeah so <laughs> so she um. It's cool because it, it gives her the opportunity to have a, it's a full-time role here at the church and um, that'll be that'll be great. Uh, and she's also been volunteering, I think, for the last year with tech and, and knows what she's doing around there, which is great. So anyway, that's a blessing. We're very excited about that. Um, so this morning we're, we're continuing uh, in the story of, of Lazarus um, dying here in John chapter 11. Uh, and I have to say right up front, this is a passage that I'm about to preach on today that, that has, that God has used, um, in my life greatly. And so because of that, I, I've spoken on this quite a bit. Um, and actually I, I recently spoke on this to, um, 
uh, the senior high. Uh, I didn't really put it together that I was preaching on this this week. Um, but anyway, I want to apologize to any senior hires out there because uh, you may hear a story or two that you've already already heard. Uh, but with that said, uh, I want to tell you one story about uh, when I was in high school. And I just have to be right up front right away with this. Um, when I was in high school, I was kind of a... Uh, I don't know, obnoxiously, annoyingly loud teenager. Surprise! Um, and so, like, I just, whenever I went into social situations, I always had to be heard and just said, would say random and weird things. And I, I don't know why I did it. Maybe I needed more hugs as a child. Who knows? But I, I just would go into situations and be weird. Um, and so I grew up, I was in a, a small town in upstate New York during high school, and so there wasn't much to do, and we had a hockey team. So during the winter, our high school hockey team would play, and we'd all go to the games on Friday nights. And so this one hockey game, I show up, and I sit down, and I'm sitting next to uh, my, a friend of mine named Jake, and then his, uh, they were on a date, their first date, Beth. Beth and Jake were sitting right next to me. And for whatever reason, during the whole game, I just kept saying, man, I really hope I get hit in the face with a puck. That would be, I've seen that on TV, it looks cool. And I just kept saying it, and at one point I was like, Beth, if you see a puck come flying up here, you get out of the way, because that's for me, all right? Third period comes along, a puck comes flying off the ice, hits the steps, ricochets off, and nails Beth right in the face. Yeah, she goes down, Jake and I look at each other, and we're like, did that just happen? Like, what is going on? She she looks up, she's got like a plum, her nose is just huge. Everybody comes rushing up. You've got the, the, the hockey coach, the trainer, the Zamboni guy, they're all just running up to to like to, to console her. And this is this story is a hundred percent percent true. I'm not making any of it up. Um, they're all caring for her, and at one point the Zamboni guy looks at her and goes, You really gotta keep an eye out for those pucks. <laughs> and he smiles. And he has three teeth. <laughs> and I just as seriously as can be go, Beth, you should really listen to this guy. It looks like he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> now, now I share that story with you because I think, isn't it, isn't it nice? Isn't it comforting? Um, that when you're going through something difficult, I've often found that it's nice to have someone come alongside you who's experienced something similar. Right? I, and, and I'm not talking about someone who, who just comes alongside and compares or downplays your, what you're going through. But, but what I'm talking about is someone who comes alongside you and, and knows how to love you well in the midst of your difficult circumstance because they know how to do it. Because they themselves have gone through it. So, so like I said, last week we started this story, uh, of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus dying. And we talked about suffering and how following Jesus involves death. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is, is life. Um, he lived and he experienced life. He showed us what real life looks like. And then through his death and resurrection, he offers us life both now and eternally. And so because of that, we can bring our hurts and we can bring our needs to Jesus as we suffer in this life. Will you pray with me as we get started? Lord Jesus, thank you once again for allowing us to be able to gather here this morning and worship your name and do so boldly without fear. Lord, uh, yeah, I, I pray for those who, who um, can't do that. Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted in other countries who are coming before you now. Lord, 
let us never take for granted the fact that we can gather, encourage one another, and hear your word. And so right now, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, um, give me discernment on what to say and what not to say. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, for some context, uh, we, have, we, we have Mary and Martha. We find them in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Uh, and in that story, we know that Martha has a servant's heart, and, and maybe even to a fault, uh, as she gets so focused on doing things for Jesus that she starts to miss out on what it is to be with Jesus. Um, and then Mary, on the other hand, is at the feet of Jesus in that story, and she's listening to his teaching. Uh, we also know, uh, as Anthony pointed out last week, that, that this is the Mary who later on we'll see will anoint Jesus' feet with oil. And so we've learned, uh, even in this passage, that Mary and Martha knew Jesus well. They loved Jesus, and they knew that he loved them as well as their brother Lazarus. And, and knowing Jesus, they knew his teachings. Uh, they knew uh, of his miracles. And so when they send for him, letting him know that Lazarus, the one whom he loved, was ill, their expectation was probably that he would come right away to help. So imagine what it must have felt like as their brother's condition worsened and the Savior was still not coming. I wonder how often did they look out on the horizon to see if he was coming. I wonder how often they tried to console their brother, letting him know that they had called for Jesus. And once again, as Anthony pointed out last week, we have the benefit of knowing what happens, but if you put yourself into the shoes of these sisters, this is a very bleak moment. Everything they thought they knew about Jesus, the relationship they thought they had with him, this was all being brought into serious question. These sisters were experiencing unimaginable hurt, loss, and confusion. And so this morning I want to look briefly at um, both Martha and Mary and their interactions with Jesus here. And so in the beginning of our passage, we, we enter into a scene of, of mourning, uh, Mary and Martha were at their home, and there were many Jews there who had come to console them. And, and it was common practice back then, uh, and even, even considered proper religious and social etiquette, to come mourn with a family when a loved one dies. Uh, and the fact that the scripture specifies that there were many Jews who were there, uh, and presumably they had made the two-mile trip from Jerusalem, uh, that may speak to the fact that this family had some prominence in, in the Jewish community. And so Martha hears that Jesus was coming, and presumably she, she slips out quietly. And I, I base that on the fact that we're going to see later uh, Mary gets up to go, and, and people notice and, and kind of follow her out. But here we just see that Mary gets up and, and is out of there by herself. Um, and, and being the doer that she is portrayed to be in Luke, it's not hard to imagine that she probably wanted to have this conversation with Jesus and wanted to do it apart from the funeral party at the house. And so when she gets to Jesus, her first statement is, um, oh, if, uh, oh, where do I go here? Okay. Well, her face, first statement to him is, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we don't have the benefit of hearing the tone of this statement, so we're not sure how it came out. Um, but we do know that clearly this was something that had been reiterated in this home the last four days, because it's also the first thing that Mary says when she comes. 
This statement is one of belief, but it's also a statement of disappointment that's shared by these sisters. And, and though this statement comes from a place of despair, Martha quickly, um, quickly shifts and makes a statement of uh, continuing faith in Christ, where she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And, and saying this, I don't think it's meant to be taken that she's expecting Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead right now. Um, and, and we can see that in her next statement, verse 24, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's looking um, for his resurrection to be somewhere later. Also, uh, we see it again in verse um, 39, we'll probably look at next week, uh, when she protests against the stone being removed from the grave because she points out, Jesus, he's been in there a while. Surely the body will smell. Please don't, please don't put us through this. Um, in this statement, uh, Martha is declaring her faith that Jesus has a special relationship with the Lord. Um, that he's more than just a good teacher or a miracle worker, but that he is someone who is from God. And, and when Jesus tells her that, um, her brother will rise again, uh, it's not really a shock to her. This isn't like something that's, that's surprising. Uh, because Martha believed in and assumed that Jesus was talking about the resurrection on the last day. Um, and this was in line with the teaching of the Pharisees of that time. It's also in line with Jesus' own teachings. We see in John 5, 25 through 29, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Also in John chapter 6, verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so when Martha makes that state, or when Jesus makes the statement about the resurrection, Martha's kind of, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying on the last day, uh, the day of judgment, uh, my brother will be raised again. But in verse 25, which was our assurance of pardon today, Jesus, Jesus kind of takes that, that belief and he brings further clarity and he makes it clear that he's not citing a distant belief, right? Something that's going to happen in the future. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's stating a current reality. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And, and honestly, this statement is a culmination of what he's been sharing throughout this gospel. In chapter 3, he talks to Nicodemus and tells him, that, um, tells him of being born again. Uh, in chapter 4, he talks to the woman at the well of bringing living water that will satisfy the thirst of, of man and become a, a spring of eternal life. Um, throughout this book, he, he does many miracles. He brings a dying boy uh, to life. He brings life to a paralytic and to a blind man. And just a chapter before this, in John 10.10, 10, he says that he is the good shepherd who has come to give life and give it to the full. So Martha's view of the resurrection is something that is, that's going to come in the future. But Jesus is stating it's here and it's now. Yes, he does bring eternal life um, after our physical death, which he, he states in verse 25. But this is not a promise only for the future. The resurrection and the life is Jesus himself 
and he was standing right before her. In verse 27, Martha confesses that she believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come from God. But I don't think she fully gets the weight of all that means. But she's going to start getting it in a few moments. And for us, sometimes I I think we live out our faith uh, with the same level of understanding that Martha has here. I think to a lot of us, sometimes all of our all our faith seems to be is, well, I'm a believer and I get to go to heaven when, when I die sometime in the future, and until then I'll just exist. And we, and we may not say that outright, but but it is often how we function, isn't it? It is true that as believers we will be with Christ when we die and we will be resurrected onto life on the day of judgment, but our faith has so much more depth than that. Christ, who is the resurrection in life, stood before Martha, and he stands before us today. Not only that, but for those of us who know know Christ, he's in us. So this resurrection and life is in us. We have all that we need. There's no need to seek out things that we think will satisfy or bring us life. There's no reason to live for our flesh, which has no future hope other than death. We have Christ who brings true life that is worth living. And this life fills and overflows from us so that others can be confronted with it and come to be part of his kingdom that he promises as it continues to grow and move towards the day that he comes again. And so Martha, after this encounter with Jesus, heads back to the house of mourning and tells Mary that Jesus is asking for her. And we see that Mary gets up abruptly, and so abruptly, like I mentioned before, that people take notice And they think that she's just heading to the grave to mourn some more, so they, they follow her out. And you know, we don't, we don't know what her demeanor is, uh, as she leaves. But Mary is upset. She's hurting. And she's mourning. And as she lands at Christ's feet in tears, she reiterates what Martha has already stated. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Unlike Martha though, this is, this is all that she states. And this is quite the juxtaposition from the time we just talked about of her being at the feet of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. There, she was at his feet listening to his teaching and receiving what Christ calls in that passage the good portion. But now, we see her at Christ's feet, totally broken, voicing her her, her, her hurt and her disappointment. And looking at this, And comparing the two, it's easy to look at Martha's interaction with Christ and say, wow, that's really good. Like, she expresses faith in the midst of this and receives a little more clarity. But you know, Mary's raw reaction, her interaction to Jesus, is just as good and applicable for many of us who are deeply suffering. Just like she came to him during a time of peace and joy in Luke, she comes to him here during a time of hurt and despair. You know, when she heard that Jesus was asking for her, she could have easily not gone and said, you know, he didn't come come when I called him, even though he should have. Or she could have said, how could he be so loving and such a great healer and yet let my brother die? She may have even thought those things, but it didn't stop her from going to him. I think for us, uh, for myself even, it's easy for so many of us to proclaim how great powerful and loving God is when things are seemingly calm around us. But what do we do when things get difficult, when things get dismal, and nothing about our circumstances reflects what we believe a great 
powerful and loving God should be doing or allowing to happen. Um, probably about, about 16 years ago, I had a, a circumstance in my life that was uh, by far the most difficult thing I've ever had to experience in, in uh, ministry. And, and before I share this story, I do want to recognize that there's uh, some brothers and sisters uh, here in this room um, watching online who, who perhaps have had similar circumstance and have had to suffer uh, through this. And, and to that, I, I say, uh, I, I pray that you would hear uh, the hope um, that, that I have found uh, in this passage in this. So uh, the date was March 25th, 2007. I was, I was helping, uh, I was volunteering as a, a youth leader at a very small church in Bucks County. Um, and I was pretty much the only youth leader. And it, it was a small church, small youth group. And I walked into church that Sunday morning. And the pastor called me into his office and he said, Dave, Last night, Scott took his life. Um, Scott was a 17-year-old uh, junior in high school. Uh, he was a wrestler, uh, was faithful to coming to Sunday school every week, and it was a shock. Nobody had seen it coming, um, and it just hurt and made no sense. And um, the pastor's like, hey, I want you to talk to the youth group. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Um, and that, that week, I had to travel. Literally, the next day I was leaving for work and was going to be gone the whole week. And so I, I called all the parents of the youth group students that day, and I said, hey, make sure you talk to your, your kids today, ask questions, listen. Um, and when I get back, um, I'd like to have a meeting so we can all kind of discuss and process. And even as that came out of my mouth with parents, I thought to myself, Lord, I don't I don't know what to do at this meeting because these students are hurt and I'm hurt. Lord, these students have questions and I'm pretty sure I have the same questions. Like, I don't know how I'm going to answer any of them because I don't know. And that whole week I just spent praying, like, Lord, what am I supposed to do in this meeting? And uh, somewhere in that week while I was praying, I literally just, in my head, just popped in, Jesus wept. And I was like, okay. I'm sure I know longer verses than that, but I'll go. Um, and I opened up this passage, and I read, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. So when Christ sees Mary weeping and her pain and the mourning of all the people who are with her, it says that he's deeply moved in his spirit, and he's deeply troubled. Now, I don't. Jesus isn't isn't weeping because Lazarus is dead. Like we know that Jesus is going. To, we know Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead in a few moments. He that was the plan all along. He references it early in chapter eleven. In the pain of the situation and the hurt of his people, Jesus is moved. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, we don't have a God who lives distant without any relational connection to his people. We have a God who came down and lived a life in the flesh, who made his dwelling among us. He lived a human life, and so when we come to him with our joy and even our hurts, we can know that he not only hears us, 
but he understands and sympathizes with us because he has experienced these things as well. Jesus doesn't just pass along life from a distance, but he comes alongside of us and he offers it. Now, a lot of commentators that I've I read uh, point out that this phrase, he was deeply moved in his spirit and deeply troubled, may not best represent what the Greek is, is trying to portray here. Actually, the Greek word that is used here is often used to describe the, the snorting of horses um, and associated with, with anger. Um, so while Christ's weeping appears to show an empathy with his people, I think it's fair to recognize that the emotion our Savior feels here runs deeper than just a simple empathy or grief. Um, I do believe that those things are part of his experience, but there's also an anger or an indignation that he's feeling in this moment. And so where is this anger or indignation directed? B.B. Warfield says, The spectacle of the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. In Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death, and whom he had come into the world to destroy. Jesus' tears are shed in sympathy and empathy, but his heart was angered by the enemy of his people. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So for us, when difficult circumstances hit us, we can take them to Christ our Savior. We can take our sadness, we can take our hurt, our confusion, and even our anger to him. He wants us to. He loves loves, and he sympathizes in these things. And the brokenness of this world that angers us, angers him. And so in that moment that I was struggling with, with Scott, I didn't necessarily get clear-cut answers, but what I did get was that I have a God who loves me. I have a God who feels just as much sorrow and pain towards what is happening in this broken world, and even anger towards. Um, I'm not alone in having to walk through that. And so we are comforted by Christ's love and the fact that he has conquered sin and death, so that in the face of the brokenness in this world, he is our resurrection and our life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. But beyond that, Lord, thank you for the life and resurrection that you bring. Thank you, God, that you walked among us, Lord, that you made your dwelling among us, and we have seen your glory. Lord, thank you that you did not leave us alone. You fill us with your spirit. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are struggling, who are suffering, who are walking through these moments of questioning, Lord, why would you do this, or why would you allow this to happen? And Lord, I pray, I pray that they would be comforted by your spirit. I pray that they would recognize your love and compassion and empathy for them. And Lord, that they would rest in that. Lord, be with us now as we move towards your supper. In Jesus' name, amen.